0: So, Rachel, Mm -hmm. now that you're past menopause and we've determined you have osteoporosis, I'd like to start you on prescription-only Avista, raloxifene hydrochloride tablets. Why Avista? Well, Because it's the only medicine that reduces the risk of osteoporotic fractures and invasive breast cancer in women like you. It's important to note, though, that Avista does not treat breast cancer prevent its return, or reduce the risk of all forms of breast cancer. Am I really at
1: risk for invasive breast cancer?
0: Based on my risk assessment, you may be. Some risk factors for breast cancer include advancing age, family history, and personal history.
1: So even though no one in my family has ever had breast cancer, I'm still at risk for other reasons, including my advancing age?
0: Exactly. And I think the benefits outweigh the potential risks for you. It's the one medicine that treats osteoporosis and reduces the risk of invasive breast cancer in postmenopausal women with osteoporosis. Individual results may vary, of course, but that's exciting news. Exciting? I'll
1: have to take your word on that, doctor.
0: (laughs) Avista increases the risk of blood clots. and should not be used by women who have or have had blood clots in the legs, lungs, or eyes. Avista may increase the risk of dying from stroke in women at high risk for heart disease or stroke. Talk to your doctor about all your medical conditions. Seek care immediately if you have leg pain or warmth, swelling of the legs, hands or feet, chest pain, shortness of breath, or a sudden vision change. Do not use Avista if you are pregnant, nursing, or may become pregnant, as it may cause fetal harm. Women with liver or kidney disease should use Avista with caution. Avista should not be taken with estrogens. Side effects may include hot flashes, leg cramps, and swelling. For more information about Avista, contact your Lilly Sales representative, visit www.avista.com, see our ad in Good Housekeeping, or call 1-888-44-AVISTA. You're listening to ReachMD XM 157, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to Advances in Women's Health. Your host is Dr. Lisa Mazzullo, Assistant Professor of Obstetrics and Gynecology at Northwestern University Medical School, the Feinberg School of Medicine.
1: For women who have severe cardiac conditions, pregnancy is not advisable due to significant risks for maternal and fetal morbidity and mortality. New research reveals newer and potentially safer choices of contraceptive for these women with heart disease. You're listening to ReachMD, XM 157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Lisa Mazzullo, a practicing physician, and with me today is Dr. Day, who is the chair of the gynecology division at the Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota, and also a principal investigator in a recent study on hysteroscopic sterilization in women with severe cardiac disease. Welcome. Thank you. So why do you think pregnancy is ill-advised for these women with severe cardiac conditions?
2: As you may know, many of those patients actually had very serious congenital cardiac problems. Many you know, had cyanotic heart diseases or obstructive lesions in the heart, such that if pregnancy were to occur, the physiological demand of pregnancy on the heart is such that they could have either catastrophic heart failure or even go into arrhythmias, which can be fatal, not only to the mother, but also, of course, to pregnancy as well.
1: You know, it's remarkable. These women would never have even gotten to reproductive age 20 or 30 years ago.
2: That's correct. I mean, it it really is remarkable that because of advances in science, those women are now growing to reproductive age group, hence the challenge of securing very safe contraceptive practices that will prevent any future pregnancies.
1: Are there any other cardiac conditions that you are referring to when you're looking at these patients, or is it purely this congenital heart disease group?
2: There are also patients who have acquired cardiac diseases as well who, for example, may have mechanical heart valves and they are on anticoagulation, chronic anticoagulation, those patients are also included in the study.
1: You know, contraceptive options for women with significant heart disease that isn't quite that severe, for example, hypertension or some of the, you know, arrhythmias are generally always a challenge for birth control. Are you making any suggestions to your patients for non-permanent forms of birth control in those more milder cardiac issues?
2: You're absolutely right that in general, prescribing, you know, contraceptives for patients with cardiac problems can be problematic for, Example, oral contraceptive pills in a lot of those patients will be contraindicated because of thromboembolic risk. Even putting a Marina IUD or a Copper IUD could be a problem by way of infection or even some of those patients would not be able to tolerate inserting an IUD in the office because they could go into a vasovagal shock, which, you know, in patients that have obstructive heart lesions can actually be fatal. But even depo injections can also be problematic because of, you know, irregular vaginal bleeding and the risk of anemia that that can pose, you know, on a patient who is already limited by way of cardiac function. So, one would have to look at it from a case by case basis. If it's minor enough, yes, some of those patients might still be able to tolerate, for example, progesterone only pill, or they may in fact be able to have an IUD inserted as well.
1: It sounds like we have to start using condoms more often.
2: <laughs> well, yes. Barrier contraception is also an option, you know, especially for patients with minor, you know, cardiac diseases. The problem with that, you know, with patients with significant cardiac diseases that you absolutely do not want to be pregnant at all. Is that as you know barrier contraception has a pretty high failure rate and therefore would not be a very good choice for those groups of patients.
1: So if the patients we're talking about with either moderate to severe cardiac disease are considering more permanent birth control, what are some of the disadvantages of laparoscopic sterilization, which has been the gold standard for a very long time?
2: Right. A lot of things that we do with laparoscopic surgery can actually negatively impact, you know, the circulation. For example, the endotracheal intubation, intermittent positive ventilation, positioning patient in a head-down position for surgery, all of those can compromise circulation and that's separate from the risk of course, that you know can occur with such an invasive procedure, you know, risk of bowel damage or risk of major vascular injury which could be very problematic in this groups of patients.
1: And so in your study you chose obviously not to do laparoscopic sterilization but instead decided to do the hysteroscopic sterilization via the eShore device. What made you decide to do that?
2: We actually, you know, the FDA approved the eShore device in 2002 and we were interested very early on and we started doing this in just normal general population. And because we're you know, we're in a large practice here at Mayo Clinic, we had contacts with our colleagues in, in cardiology who had struggled you know, over the years getting a non-invasive contraception for these groups of patients. And we had a couple of patients that we did this on. And the good thing about it, of course, was both of those patients that we did initially were, were actually fully anticoagulated. And we were able to place these devices without actually reversing their anticoagulation. On average, it took about fourteen minutes to do the procedure and they didn't have to be, you know, admitted in hospital preoperatively or even postoperatively. These were done on outpatient basis.
1: Were you surprised at the need not to change the coagulation profile?
2: No, we weren't because we knew, you know, this is totally non incisional. It was gonna be atraumatic. Of course we've had experience doing hysteroscopies or even DNCs on patients who are fully anticoagulated here at the clinic. So it wasn't that much of a stretch to consider doing these procedures in those groups of patients.
1: If you're just joining us, you're listening to a discussion on severe cardiac disease women who have to have sterilization for contraceptive and the use of eShore hysteroscopic sterilization with Dr. Amambola Femmwide on ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. So the patients who are undergoing eShore, what kind of anesthesia are you using in the OR?
2: It's uh, what we call conscious sedation. This patient typically would have a small dose of midazolam and a very small dose of propofol as well and this is titrated some of them you know required laryngeal mask and some of them we also used a local anesthesia you know paracervical block but with the titration, we were able to accomplish the procedure without, you know, getting them into deep anesthesia.
1: Mm-hmm. And did you use general anesthesia at all in any of the patients in the study?
2: In the larger cohort, because we had two cohorts of patients, we had patients that had cardiac disease and those were 18 patients. And then we had 157 patients that didn't have a cardiac disease. We, in fact, used general anesthesia in uh, three of the 18 cardiac patients and in about uh, uh, 43 of the 157 patients who did not have cardiac disease.
1: And generally when we're doing hysteroscopy, we're always concerned about fluid management. Is there anything special that you do for these patients with the severe cardiac disease in light of using fluids during hysteroscopy?
2: No, because the, the procedure typically, as I said, you know, the actual hysteroscopy portion of the procedure, I would say, was about five minutes. And of course, we didn't, we weren't using a pump to distend the uterus. So in terms of fluid absorption, it was very, very minimal.
1: In the study, I noticed that the women who had severe cardiac disease had 100% ishore placement with satisfaction, but that the control group only had 95%. Why do you think that happened?
2: In part because of the numbers, and in part, quite frankly, because the control group, these are normal, healthy patients. Uh, And I think, in part, it reflected the fact that the learning curve initially with the normal general population, once we were very good at placing this, clearly we weren't having any failures. The second reason is that the device itself was actually modified, I believe, in early part of 2004. And that really improved the placement rate. And quite frankly, we've not had any uh, non-placements in any groups of patients in the last two years.
1: So operator experience really made a difference?
2: I think it made some difference initially, yes.
1: I think we find that with most minimally invasive procedures. Did you have any complications in the hysteroscopic study?
2: No, we did not have any complications at all related to the surgical procedure.
1: I've performed a number of insures as well, and I have had a number of patients who have had intractable pain in those first three months while we're waiting to see if the tubes are occluded. Have you come up against that at all?
2: We had a patient in the cardiac cohort group that had pelvic pain that we investigated, and we didn't find any cause for the pelvic pain. And the pelvic pain resolved over a few weeks. Other than that, no, we've not had any such patients.
1: Since your study went over a number of years prior to our discussion today, have you had anyone fail the I-Shore and get pregnant after its placement?
2: No, we've not. As you know, in the study, we follow patients up now for about four years. We're not aware of any pregnancy or pregnancy failures. And in fact, we are lucky because almost all of our patients show up for the three months HSG. and uh, We've not had any tubal pitensis documented on HSGs either.
1: That's excellent. Did you pre-treat your patients at all prior to the ESH replacement with either antibiotics or non
2: Yes, we did both. We pre treated them with antibiotics, especially the cardiac patients as well. They received the standard prophylactic doses of antibiotics for appropriate for you know, their cardiac conditions. We also routinely administered torodol intravenously, about 30 milligrams within 10 minutes of starting the procedure. We believe that can actually alleviate any tubal spasm that can occur while one's trying to place the shore and hence you know, increase the placement rates as well.
1: Well, thank you to Dr. Amambola-Famwide, who has been our guest, and we've been discussing his study on women with severe cardiac disease and the safety of Eshore hysteroscopic sterilization for their contraception. Thank you very much. I'm Dr. Lisa Mazzullo. For a complete program guide and podcast, visit ReachMD.com. And for comments or questions, please call us at toll-free at 888 MDXM xm 157 Thank you.
0: Thank you for listening to Advances in Women's Health, sponsored in part by Eli Lilly, with your host, Dr. Lisa Mazzullo. For more details on the interviews and conversations in this week's show, or to download the segment, please go to reachmd.com forward slash women's health.